tribalism, that it could be a, a certain uh, person throughout history, but I think it maybe even points to a type of person, maybe like a dictator kind of thing and stuff that's going to rise up through the government. That's kind of what chapter 13 is all about. Okay, So tr- chapter 14 is kind of a glimpse into some things that are to come. It kind of dwells on some of the past and it, it pushes toward some of the future as well. And so as we look at Revelation chapter 14, here's our main point today. It's important to God how we live. The Lord will redeem those who are pursuing his righteousness through obedience, and his wrath will fall on those who choose themselves. When we die to self, we pick up Christ's cross and follow him, then we have an opportunity to uh, serve as as he would want us to serve. And when we have a heart in the right place, then God can do some amazing things. So we're going to look at the lamb and the 144,000, which we saw earlier in Revelation as well. So it's kind of interesting as well. First one, chapter 14, Revelation. Then I saw the lamb stand on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth, and they have kept themselves as pure as virgins, following the Lamb wherever He goes. They have been purchased from among the people and the earth as special offering to the Lord and to the Lamb. They have told no lies, and they are without blame. The key, I think, there is they have been purchased from among the people on the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. That is a definition of a remnant. God always holds back a remnant of his people. Even through the most troubling times, he's held back a remnant so he will be able to get praise on this earth. And we see the lamb featured in Revelation chapter 14 in two different ways. First, we see him as the sinless redeemer, and then we see him as the wrathful judge. There is two parts of of Jesus' role as he comes to the earth. He has come to redeem us, but he has also come to judge us. And we don't have to worry about his judgment if we submit to him and his authority. If we submit to him in faith that he is going to work in our lives, then we don't have to worry about that judgment. Are we going to be judged? Sure we are. But our sins are covered by the blood of the Lamb, and so we don't have to worry about uh, what that's going to transfer on into the next Life, which would be heaven or hell, because we know we would have heaven if we submit to the Lamb. If we do not submit to His teaching, to His uh, way of life, and to have faith in Him, then we are choosing to go to hell, which is unfortunate. But we can't have a redeeming God without having a judging God, or one who judges, because we want justice, don't we? It is built within our hearts to have justice. You can hear it in the grade school uh, playgrounds, can't you? 
That's not fair. He, you can't do that. That breaks the rules. That's not fair. We want things to be fair, don't they? Now, we don't always get fair, do we? Because sometimes we don't see the bigger picture. Like when you're a parent, we divide up a snack between two siblings and we see that one has been poaching um, the snack prior to the giving of the snack. And so they think, well, we should still get an even portion because mom didn't say that she was going to divide up until now. And so now when we get there, um, they got more than we did. They got more. That's not fair. That's not fair. Well, you know it's fair and they know it's fair. But um, is it breaking the rules? Maybe. But the rules weren't established or maybe they are established well before that that person was born, right? They were established before we were born. There's a sense of fairness, a sense of justice that transitions and transcends, I mean, bigger than those moments of dividing that snack. And so we see that here as well. And we have seen, we've also seen where the 144,000 have been called as a remnant to be saved from God's wrath back in Revelation chapter 7 with the 12 tribes. Now, no, this could be the same 144,000, or it may be another 144,000 that he saved as a remnant. I'm, I don't know. It doesn't say that the, those first 144,000 went into heaven, so it could be the same. And they've been on the earth preaching like a lot of people believe. It could be that they went up, and now he's, and they symbolize a Jewish side of things. And now this 144,000 represents a Gentile side of things. I don't know. It doesn't say in the Bible, really. And um, the, the point is that God has pulled out a remnant. That's the point. And that's what's important. And so we need to look at the characteristics of that remnant and how we can act more like them. So the point is not in the numbers. It's in the actions of, of the remnant and how they're living a lifestyle of worship. We see in verse 2, And I heard... A sound from heaven like the roar of mighty ocean waves or the rolling of a loud thunder. And it was like the sound of many harpists playing together. What does that sound like to you? To me, it sounds like the best worship service in heaven has ever seen. Right? Because it, it says they start to sing before the four living creatures and then the 24 elders and then they start a new song. This is this 144,000 that only they know. And they begin to sing. And that's exciting because I believe this is a sound of worship. And how do I come to this conclusion? Because they, they see the lamb on Mount Zion. The, la the lamb, the redeemer, because he's the, blood, the lamb who was slain. He's sitting at the throne at, at God's feet, right? He leads us to Mount Zion, which is the redeemed Jerusalem, okay? Because anytime you hear um, Zion spoken of in the Old Testament, it means the redeemed Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, okay? And on heaven, it's like heaven on earth, right? So Jesus is creating heaven on earth because his presence is there. And we'll be like Jesus as he leads us into heaven. 
And this is, I get this from the statement, the, the lamb standing on Mount Zion. We get an opportunity to see the example that we're supposed to be. This is what we're supposed to do. And now you can come be like that. The 144,000 respond in a worship service. They, we see the 144,000, they've committed to God in all this ups and downs of life. They have committed to God. In verse 3, they sing a wonderful new song declaring they have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. This is a song of submission to Jesus as their Messiah, declaring him Lord over all including their mind, their body, their soul, and their heart. How do I know that? Because the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if we're going to love God with all our, our mind, body, soul, and strength and heart, shouldn't we love our neighbor in the same way? Because to love our neighbors to show the love of the Lord, right? That can be a little tricky sometimes. Sometimes my neighbor's not very nice to me. Or he's not nice to my other neighbor. So then I feel like I need to tell my other neighbor about that. And then, well, now I'm caught up in the gossip tree. And, oh, man, that's crazy, right? But that's easy to get tangled into, isn't it? It's so easy to get tangled into. But God's called us above that. He's called us to a bigger picture to look outside of the sin, but to look at the redemption that's happening on top of that, right? Because we've all been redeemed, and we are no better. We all sin in our own ways. And so as we go, we ask, why would we want to do this? Well, because Jesus never sinned. He set the example for us on how to live. Those who are redeemed are pursuing a life that honors God. They're producing a life of worship, producing a life of worship. This is one of the four Kavanaugh points. Colossians 3.23, working willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. We, like these 144,000, are called out to be separate from the world and do life as worship. Can you do your taxes for the Lord? Or maybe somebody else's taxes, if you're an accountant. It's hard, right? That's boring, mundane, but can you do that to your best of your ability so um, your client gets a return on investment? It, or you get your return on investment? Can you pull weeds for the Lord? There's a lot of symbolism there, right? God told us to pull out the weeds of our lives, pull out the tares, and make sure we have a good harvest of good seed. Are we living this kind of lifestyle, a lifestyle of worship? We need to reflect on the character of Jesus through the obedience in these five ways I found in this passage here. So we need to obey in these five areas. And in your bulletin, you have five blanks there. It says, search for redemption. Okay, redemption is your first blank. They have a desire to turn their lives around. 
Okay, this isn't in the list necessarily at the end, but it's it's um, understood that they have they search for redemption. They have a re- desire to turn their lives around to do life different from what the world around them says. They're going to follow the Lamb. They're going to stand out. They're going to be something different than what the world has to offer, and they are going to submit to the Lord. They're going to ask repentance. They're going to ask God to redeem them of their sins. That's what we need to do as well. We need to ask the Lord to redeem us from our sins. Number two, they kept themselves sexually pure. And you see this a lot of times in the early church. What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to love the Lord, keep the commandments, and sustain from um, blood that's still in the animals and keep themselves sexually pure. It's, it's here at the end times too. It's a very big deal. It is a, a sin that God knows can encapsulate your heart. It's a sin that God knows can have one of the biggest competitions with him. And so he knows that we need to stay away from it or abstain from it. This shows that sexual sins like pornography they let down two people. They let down two people. First, God. God knows the idol of lust and how to defeat it. So he gives us this scripture. 2 Timothy 2.22 is a great verse when worth memorizing, especially if you deal with lust. This is one I've memorized because I've dealt with lust before. Uh, Flee the evil desires of your youth and pure, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. So first, you flee from the scene, just like Joseph did with Potiphar's wife. He got out of there. It was one of the most brilliant things that he did. David, he was on the, on the rooftop. What did he do? He gazed a little longer, and he got in trouble, didn't he? If he would have fleed just like Joseph did, um, he would have been all right, probably. Um, next, we pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. What are those? Those are characteristics of who? God the Father, right? Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. The only way you can get those things are from God. So we need to pursue God. How do we pursue God? We get into his word. We memorize it so we can put a fence around our hearts and guard our purity. How else can we do that? Along with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. This is where the church comes together. This is why we have youth group. This is why we get together as believers so we can guard our hearts. To say that I'm not sure about the established church today. Sometimes I would agree with you. But when you have a group of like-minded individuals that are pursuing the Lord together, that's a good place to be. That's why God created the church. Okay, God designed the church. God told us to be in church. And they're like, well, I don't think the church in America is what the church was back in uh, the first century. And guess what? You'd be right. But it doesn't mean this is wrong doesn't mean the church today is wrong, right? It just means it might be a little bit more 
a little bit bigger, or it might be a little bit smaller than what it was. They met in houses. Why did they meet in houses? One, because they were persecuted. Two, because um, their family groups were much tighter. We don't necessarily have family groups, the tightness of family groups like we did back in there. Our, our families tend to move away and things, and so we bring together other families to worship with. And that's important. It's kind of like taking care of orphans and widows. They're not necessarily orphan widows because they have kids or they have a spouse, but um, they don't have that extended family that's around them, so we bring them in together, and we fellowship together like the Lord told us to. We work together to tell people about Jesus like the Lord told us. Huh, you see this thing coming here? That's why the church is here, because God told us to do church. Otherwise, church would be ridiculous, right? But it's like the, the illustration where you have a campfire, and you pull one of the, the hot burning embers in that campfire, and you take it out and set it off to the side. What happens to that ember? It goes out, right? If the embers are all together... It could sustain the fire, but if you pull that ember out and try to do life on your own, you're going to get caught in this trap right here to stay sexually pure, to stay faithful to the Lord. It is so much easier, so much easier to um, be in that. And the last one is to pursue people that call upon the Lord in in the pure heart. So we have three fence posts. We have three fences. So we have flee, follow, and friends. The three Fs. Flee, follow, friends that you can get from 2 Timothy 2.22. The second person that you let down when it comes to sexual purity is your spouse. And you'll be like, well, I'm not going to have a spouse someday. I'll just teach you right there. Well, then you're going to let yourself down. So you'll still let somebody else down. Um, and by objectifying people. What does it mean to objectify people? You look at people like they're an object instead of a person. You don't look on the inside of their heart. You just look at the outside and you judge them, whether you want to or not. Uh, It comes out, oh, they're hot, they're not, things of that nature. And that's wrong. That's wrong. Especially what you can do with Photoshop today and um, all the other... Adobe products that you can change videos in. You can take the flaws right out of somebody. You can put them right in there. You can do whatever you want. You can almost make a cartoon person look um, real today. And it's, it's wrong, and it's a distortion of what God has done. God designed us the way we are. Hear that, junior high girls. God has designed you the way you are, and he is proud of of how he created you. There's no way to, there's no reason to shy away from that camera because God has created you that way. And that's exciting. The problem when we want to shy away from the camera is not with the way you look, it's the way you feel about the way you look, right? And that's, that's, that's a hard lesson. But I'm going to tell you now so you can work on that now. Work through that. What's that mean? Wrestle with that, girls. And guys, too. I used to do the same thing. Not necessarily with the camera, but I used to be self-conscious of the way I looked because I was skinny as a rail. 
I haven't changed that much. Except for Gus here. Whew. Poor Gus. So, the second way you can let down a spouse then too is you're, you're coming into a relationship, maybe you're, you'd, before a pre-spouse, I'm, I'm, I'm still single, you're coming to the relationship with damaged goods, right? It's kind of like a warehouse deal on Amazon. You'll get this package, but the da- it, might have a, it might not come in its original packaging. It might have to be rewrapped. It might not have all the parts. It may be uh, touch broken on a corner, but we're warning you, that's why you're getting the discount up front, okay? Right? How would you like to say that to your spouse? Think about that. When you save yourself from marriage, you are telling your spouse, I love you so much that I've waited for you. Praise God we have a God who can redeem us, even when we've messed up in that area too, right? God can redeem us. God can take that from us and, in a sense, kind of give us a second virginity and allow us to walk into that relationship with him first. And that's exciting as well because God is all about redemption. I think when, especially young people, when we get into that, we think that's the worst sin in the world. And it's, and it's, it's a dangerous sin to get into, right? It's very dangerous because not only are you, especially young ladies, uh, but young men do this too, you're not only giving your bodies, you're giving your heart Okay, and if you, this is something I, I read in one of the books. Actually, Brandy read it and then she told it to me, and I haven't forgot it. Um, when you give your heart to a young man or to a young woman, your body is soon to follow. Remember that for your grandchildren. Remember that for your children. When you give your heart to somebody, your body is soon to follow. And that's dangerous because. If they have that kind of control over you, then God doesn't have that control over you, does he? Because that bond isn't supposed to happen until marriage happens. And so that's important, something that I wanted to stress because it keeps coming up in the Scripture to stay sexually pure. This, these are the reasons why. Because if you surrender your body to somebody else or to some object or to some pleasure, that sexual pleasure then God doesn't have your heart first. You've just created an idol. So this can happen and can continue on in marriage. And it's very dangerous and it's very damaging in marriages. But God can redeem. God will take that confession first and break the power of that secrecy. And he can make all things new. He can restore your mind and strength. That was one sin that I've struggled with since I was a very young child. And so God said, well, if you're going to walk into it that long, then it's going to take a while to walk out of it. Sometimes he heals us like that of it. And sometimes he has me in, in instances. But usually I've had to walk a Second Timothy 2.22 lifestyle and, and put those people around me, put these things and flee from the, the times that I'm getting into uh, one of the ways, it's after dark, uh, 
I don't get on the computer, things like that. So it's simple things like that that just help me walk in purity with the Lord. Number three, they tell no lies. Like, I wish, I can't wait to get off too. Whew, that was a tough one. They tell no lies, number three. The Lord tells us to let our yes be yes and our no be no. So will you, are you willing to sacrifice your integrity to tease your friends? Is it safe to go in that other room? Oh, yeah, it's safe. It's totally safe. You got the bucket propped up on the, on the, on the door, right? So when they open it up, whoosh, they're going to get soaked. It was funny, but was it worth your integrity? Because now they're not going to trust you. Was it worth that, the price for the joke? You have to be pretty darn good friends for them to come back and trust you again, right? So why risk it? Let your yes be yes and no be no. You can be like, you can always dry sense of humor. Yeah, I just propped up a, a bucket on the door, but you'll be fine. They may walk through that door anyway. I told you. You got to be able to deliver that line, I guess. But What does this mean? It, does, it means don't sacrifice your integrity for a joke. Number four, they are blameless. They are blameless in his sight. No one would dare accuse them of anything because the charges won't stick. It'd be like trying to say, um, I heard there was a murder at, in North Peoria last night and Craig Mitzelfeld it, it did it. That's what I heard. We would be like, no, he didn't. That's ridiculous. What? Uh, we wouldn't believe him, would we? Because he's blameless. He lives a lifestyle that's blameless. And that Christ lived that lifestyle. We need to follow his example. And so if we heard something like that, uh, Ralph and Joyce, they were out perusing the town, right? We wouldn't believe it because we know Ralph and Joyce. They perouse their living room, right? Um, we know that they, they love God. We're not going to believe things like that about people with integrity, right? And so we need to Live in integrity, and we can walk securely in that. The charges won't stick. They don't idolize things or people. And this kind of goes with pornography. That was, it's a type of idolatry. But they don't put anything above God, whether it's their baseball, football team, whether it's their cars, whether it's their families, whether it's their house or possessions, or relationships. All those things can be put in front of God, and it's easy to do. That's what we're, we're, we're great at that. Uh, that's the number one struggle, probably. And dare I say, the number one thing that we idolize in all the land is ourselves. I'm so good, look at me. What happened to William? What happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he said, Look what I've done? Yeah, Birdman goes creak. <laughs> That's right. Seven years he went creak, right? Until he repented. Don't put anything in front of idol idol like that. So they don't they don't put anything above God. They have an eternal perspective on life and naturally flows into obedience. It is important to God to how we live, the Lord will redeem those who are pursuing his righteousness through obedience, and his wrath will fall on those who choose themselves. Revelation chapter 14, 6 through 
11 is of the three angels. It says, I saw another angel flying through the skies, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and, and people. Fear God, he shouted, and give him glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as a judge. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all who all the springs of water. Then another angel followed him through the sky shouting, Babylon has fallen, fallen, the great city has fallen because she has made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Then a third angel followed them shouting, anyone who worships the beast and his statue or who accepts his mark on the forehead, this is chapter 13, or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger or God's wrath. It has been poured out in full strength in God's cup of wrath, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this down. Blessed are those who die in the, in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the, the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. And I entitled this one, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I was looking at this thing, and I'm like, well, that one's pretty good. Well, that one's bad. And I looked at the last one. Sure enough, it was ugly. So it went perfect for the illustration today. The good, the bad, the ugly. The good. The gospel is preached to everyone. What's one of the things that has to be done before God's going to come back? The gospel must be preached. I believe the, the gospel must be preached by the church first, and then God's going to come back with his angels and preach the gospel so that no one will be without or be with an excuse. They don't have an excuse. The gospel will be preached to everyone. This is the clear message. Everyone will know who Jesus is and what he did for them. Verse 7, fear God, he shouted, give glory to him for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all the springs of water. Fear God, give glory to God. Why? Because he will judge our actions and he is the source of life. Well, how do you see that? Because he made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of the water. All those things, if we don't have any of those things, we don't have life. If we have those things, we have life. Good news for some can be bad news for others, right? Because God is drawing a line in the sand. And if we don't choose him, that means we don't choose eternal life. We choose eternal death or in hell. So the bad, the, con the condemned Babylon... They look to chapters, we look to chapters 17 and 18. We'll get more detail in those chapters, okay? Babylon is known in Jewish history 
as the great oppressor. And who is condemned in Revelation chapter 14? It's those who take the mark of the beast in Revelation chapter 13. This inspires me to self-examine. I need to check myself. Am I an idol to the Lord? Have I made myself an idol? Have I made anything else in my life an idol? I need to repent and turn back to him. I need to ask, is my life one that is an act of worship? When I have to change baby diapers, am I doing it to bless the Lord? Oh, that's hard sometimes. Praise the Lord. Right? Am I faithful to the Lord and to his word? Remember, obey in these five areas because we found them in Scripture earlier. They search for um, redemption. They kept themselves sexually pure. They tell no lies. They are blameless. They do not idolize things or people. I got that all from this passage. I pulled them all right out of there. To the holy people, hold on. God's coming. Hold on. I almost had Darren stay up to, to give me a little riff on that one, right? So um, they found this encouraging to keep praying and to hold on to faith in God. He is going to do his job. How do I know? Because he's done it in the past. How do I know? Because I see these 144,000. If he's held on to them, he'll hold on to me too. Because we see at this point that there's still going to be some on the earth that, yes, the church age, I think, is ending at this point, but the age of grace extends all the way to the final judgment. And he says, if you still choose me, I will still choose you. And if you call on me, I will come and rescue you. You just got to hold on because I'm coming. How do I know? How do I know? I look to my past. What has God done for me? I had to tell my story on how I became a Christian. I also told my story on how I became a pastor. It was a pretty big deal in my life on how God called me pretty kind of supernaturally because mom always said, uh, mom always said, and I'm quoting another movie, right? My mom always said, she said, um, if God calls you into ministry, I think it'll be in a big way that you cannot deny it. And I'm like, all right. So I just rested in that. I had faith in what she said that was from the Lord, that if God's calling me into, into ministry, I'll know it. And boy, did I ever know it, Right? I felt kind of like um, Isaiah or Ezekiel or one of those you're like commissioning things. That's what I felt like. The Lord commissioned me um, to be his servant. So I'm stuck doing that. But it's also kind of nice to know because what are you going to do when you grow up? Well, I'm going to be a preacher, whether I like it or not. I, sometimes I might be a preacher who bends pipe for a time, right? I did that for a while. But I was still a, a preacher. I'm, what are you going to do? Well, I, I work at Multiad. I happen to be a, a Christian who works at Multiad, right? You guys happen to be a, a nurse 
or you're, you're a Christian who happens to be a nurse, right? That's your mission field. Your occupation is your mission field, right? Well, I'm retired. I don't have a mission field anymore. <laughs> it just means you get to focus on your family and your neighborhood, right? The Lord is there. How do we know, though? How do we know to hold on? I'll give you a real-life application that happened this week. I think it happened on Monday or Tuesday. I'm not really sure. But I get on Facebook, and I... Do you guys remember Caleb that we prayed for for like a year, for a long time, because he got hit by a tractor trailer, a semi-tractor trailer? Flattened him out, crushed his pelvis, just destroyed him. The fact that he's alive today is a miracle in itself. Well, that happened about three years ago, and they went to... I grew up with them um, at Bureau Township Community Church. And last year, they had this hope to get his last major surgery to get done. And they had to attach, it's been disattached so everything could heal, but they had to attach the tube so he could pee again. And I'm not 100% what that, sure that's called, but they had to attach that again. And they tried once, it didn't take. They tried about a month later, it didn't take. And they're like, well, what's our other options? What's our options? Because they have to catheterize him once a week. And you know what that does to you? You're dealing with urine and stuff. You're dealing with infection. You're dealing with all these things that it's just bad for a little boy who now has got some brain damage a little bit. He doesn't understand. He knows it's painful. He doesn't want to go through it. they got to pull a catheter in and out. If you've ever had one of those, it hurts like the Dickens. And this kid is dealing with this all the time. And Monday or Tuesday, he went in the bathroom and he peed all by himself. Praise God for your orifices when they work, right? Praise God. And his teacher said, he's been going to the bathroom. He's been going in and and going to the bathroom more than once. So praise God. God, let's pray that that sticks and that it, that it stays because they were, they were getting to the, their wit's end. What are we going to do? How, no, but they're trying to be um, an advocate for their kid. They're trying to intercede for him, and nobody's listening because they've tried. We've tried. It's just going to have to be the way it's going to be. And they wouldn't accept that. And they kept praying and praying and praying. Could you imagine? I, you probably can't imagine, but they prayed for a year for their little boy who's suffering. And God's answering their prayers. Let's pray that it sticks and that everything goes well because I know that would be just such a blessing for their family. God is still working behind the scenes even when we are losing hope. This is a big win for their family and please continue to pray for Caleb, the ugly, judgment. This is where you get your John chapter 16, 1 through 4. Also comes with Matthew 24, verse 9. It says, when, we, when you will be arrested and persecuted and killed, you will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Or on my account of my name, government, government persecutes Christians because of their integrity. 
They won't bend the rules. They won't settle for because I said so. And they ask questions, and they're curious, and they want to know why it's got to be that way. And the government doesn't want to deal with it anymore, so they create the Christian as the problem. That's where we're going today, unfortunately. And so we need to stand up now for what Christ believes in. And how ridiculous this is is getting even today. We see it. So why did I switch back to Revelation? John 16, 1 through 4 is when the time this is going down, right? The end of the church age will be right here. However, not the end of the age of grace. God extends that to the last possible moment. And I think this shows you, because you look at Revelation chapter 13, um, yes, the mark of Revelation 13 is condemned. The wrath is released in the seven bowls. Well, we're not going to be around for the seven bowls of wrath. As believers, God will call us up. And I believe at 42 months of that tri- tribulation time, I think that's when the rapture is going to occur, especially from this passage right here in 14. Because you see in 13, it says this is going to happen, but it doesn't call for anything. Well, in chapter 14, there's definitely a calling out of the saints. There's a harvest of the saints, which we'll get into. But this is going to occur right up to this. And I think 14 is kind of like an overview of everything, which he sticks right in the center. And then he gets into the details of it in uh, previous chapters a little bit. But he really hones in what's going to happen with Babylon and things in the next chapters here to come. And so I'm trying to watch my time, but I do have enough time to finish this off, I think. Um, God's wrath is released in the seven bulls, but the most important thing we see here is that Jesus is in the wrath as well. Do you see that? It's God's wrath. Jesus is in the wrath as well, because what do we see in the church today? God loves you. God wouldn't do that. Oh, yeah? Yes, he would. We don't preach judgment enough in the church today because God is love and he would never do something like that. Yes, yes, he would because he's a just God. And if you're going to be a just God, you have to condemn evil. And so God sets up a standard. And if we break his standard, we fall short of his glory and then we're condemned to his wrath. There's only one way to get out of that. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If we don't choose Jesus to be our God, our king of our life, then we will not go to heaven. It's simple as that. Well, I've chosen God, but I want to do this sin. No, you haven't chose God. It's simple as that. I I want to love Jesus, but... I have this, but there's a but. We all know about excuses. They're all like buts, and they all stink, right? We just don't do that. We don't do that. Don't say that to God. It doesn't work. You're in the presence of holiness. It will, every little thing will show up. And if we break his standard, there must be consequences for those, those actions. And so remember, God desires obedience, 
not sacrifice. You see that through, that's a theme throughout the whole Old Testament. David, Saul, Solomon. Lord, look what I've done. Look what I've done. But it's not in here. Guys, it's not in here. You got to give up your heart. You got to give it up for the Lord. And then we'll see some amazing things happen. John 14, 12 says, God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. Yes, God's holy people must endure persecution. Patiently obey, remain hopeful, maintain the faith. And then verse 13 says, write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. I don't know if that means from the time when John wrote that till now, or if that means from the time there as the harvest goes up and anybody that comes to the Lord after that, or both. I think it applies to all Christians. So I think it has a little bit of foreshadowing that, yes, God's called out, but he's still going to leave that grace out there. If you choose me, I will choose you. We'll see it in your actions. It's important to God how we live. The Lord will redeem those who are pursuing him and righteousness through obedience, and his wrath will fall on those who choose themselves. The harvest of the earth, 14 through 20. I got just enough time because I don't have a big point after this because it's self-explanatory. Then I saw a white cloud. Seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man, a.k.a. Jesus, and had a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting in the cloud, Swing the sickle for the time of the harvest has come. The crop of the earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. After that, another angel came from the temple in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. And then another angel who had power to destroy with fire came from the altar, and he shouted to the, to the angel with a sharp sickle, Swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment." So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes in the great winepress of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled into the winepress outside the city, and the blood flowed from the winepress in the stream about 180 miles long, as high as the horse's bridle. Whether that's Jesus swinging the sickle for the harvest or if it's one of his angels, God is definitely commanding it. Jesus is commanding that at that point in time. So we have the harvest. This is a foreshadowing of what's going to come in chapter 19. I believe chapter 19 and 14 are the same events, and I think we can kind of see some foreshadowing early on in Revelation. I really look at Revelation as a stacked event, where you have the seven years of tribulation. Halfway through, you see this gathering, this harvest that comes up. There's victory for the saints. The judgment and God's wrath for those who chose the world. God will use his refining fire to judge the earth in order to make it new. God is going to deal with all sin. He will make all things new. It will cost, it will be cast out of the city, just like the 
the um, uh, parable of the ten vineyards, vineyards, virgins. Yeah, it is. It's in there. No, the ten virgins, right? There, there was five foolish and five wise. Five wise had plenty of oil and they were prepared. When God came, the five foolish said, uh, quick, give us some of your oil. And he says, we can't do that. I can't be saved by somebody else's merit. I can't give you my acts because of my righteous heart. You have to do it yourself. And so they quick and they run and they go try to do some of these righteous acts. And when they come back, God says, depart from me. I never knew you. And they're left outside of the party. In Gehenna, where the worm never dies and the fire never goes out. It's the junk heap outside of Jerusalem. That's where all the, the offal is, is thrown. It's disgusting. It's rotten. It stinks. And that's what God describes of our friends who aren't going to make it to heaven. We have a responsibility. There's two things that we can take to heaven with us. Two things that we can take to heaven with us. We take our integrity and our character, right? That's one. We take our friends. We have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus Christ today. And if we don't do it, nobody else will. We can intersect the gospel into our conversation, intersect Jesus into our conversation to get them to come. And we see a foreshadowing of the battle that's to come of Armageddon in chapter 16, verse 16. The point of this passage is that we see a redeeming God as a God of judgment and of sin as well. It's important to God how we live. I can't stress that enough. We want to have a changed heart but we want it to reflect in our lifestyle, right? The Lord will redeem those who are pursuing righteousness through obedience, and his wrath will fall on those who choose themselves. Lord, forgive me for choosing myself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you're a God who cares for us. You're a God who longs to have a relationship with us. Lord, you're a jealous God. Your fierce wrath wells up when we turn away from you and turn to ourselves, turn to our idols, turn to our pleasures of this life. And Lord, as we come before you, we ask for forgiveness when we turn away. We ask for forgiveness when we delve into idolatry, of putting other things in front of us, or of sexual impure immorality. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us, renew our hearts, allow us to come back before you and be blameless in our sights. Lord, allow us to tell the truth and be happy and content with what we have. Lord, we seek your redemption. Seek you first and your kingdom Lord, we will get that reward on top of it. Allow us to pursue you this week with a passion that passes understanding. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
you're dismissed.